episode 55 features an interview I recorded while crossing the Drake Passage with geologists Laura and Miles. The noise in the background is the ship pushing its way through loose pack ice in Antarctic Sound, near where it meets the Weddell Sea. And I'll use up any remaining January megabytes with that after you hear from the geologists, because that shit's cool. Surnames. So, could you introduce yourselves, please? Um, I'm Miles Ben Nassan from Melbourne. And I'm Laura Spellbrink, a geologist from Melbourne. And we've travelled down the Antarctic Peninsula together aboard. Mr. Black! And I was hoping to get a geologist's perspective of that experience because I'm very much maritime focused, and once I get away from sea level, I find things a bit steep and daunting. But yeah. What have been the, the standout geological features that you've seen? For me, I've always wanted to, to come to Antarctica and I actually a few years ago turned down a research PhD in geology in Antarctica and since that decision, which was for a number of reasons, I've always wanted to come and we've been, we're backpacking around South America for four months and we came to Ushuaia with the hope of getting down here and we're lucky enough to jump on board and for me it was not seeing the first ice, but seeing the first rock and the real realisation that it's actually a continent. It's not just floating ice. And on a map, it's just this big white vastness. But to think, no, this is actually rock. And that was really special for me. And I was just standing out on the deck looking at these cliffs rising out of the sea and didn't realise that the topography was quite so extreme. Um, and that was really impressive for me. And going through the channels was just a pretty moving experience. So I really enjoyed just the first sight of, of land rather than ice. For me, it was um, the, the glaciers. I mean, they sort of have dictated how the topography looks in many ways. They're just smashing through the valleys, carving out big chunks of out of the continent. And just to see the, the scale of these glaciers in contrast to these huge scarps along the peninsula, it's really impressive and it's, it's so hard to drink it all in. Every vista is just loaded with huge scales and it's just so impressive, much more impressive than I expected. I didn't know what to expect but it was, I was just blown away. I think Laura's comment that the maps and charts show this wide expanse and they don't prepare you for the the reality of the, the vertical nature of the peninsula. I think I've sold my listeners short discussing my perspectives from the Ross Sea because it, I was dealing with sea ice and the barrier and it's all pretty flat. Yeah. So that's really been the thing that struck me about coming down here this season. Yeah, and it's such a... It put This huge ship is just insignificant in the, in the scale of these mountains that really do just rise out of the sea. And you think about, of course, they're as steep under the water as they are on the sides. They don't just flatten out. And to think of how deep these cha- some of these channels are that we've been going through. I think the... the best geological moment for me. The rocks along the Antarctic Peninsula are pretty much all granite, so granite's interesting enough. I mean, it makes beautiful bench tops, but it's um, not particularly interesting in that you don't see the contrast between different sorts of rocks, and that's where rocks get interesting, when you see different sorts of rocks all up against each other. 
So these rocks were mainly granites, but what I thought was really cool was we were going along on the Zodiac and there was this big piece of floating uh, glacial ice and it had a glacial drop stone in it. And this drop stone would have been almost half my body size. It was really sharp edged, which means it probably wouldn't have moved particularly far. When they rounded, they would have been carried a long distance by the glacier, but this would have cracked off the side of a mountain or something, fallen into the glacier and been dragged out and eventually come out to sea. And I thought about, we've done, both of us have done some work and um, done some mapping up around the Flinders Ranges and different parts of Australia that is just so far removed from a glacial environment where you see these big glacial drop stones that have fallen out of ice into soft sediment and there's just this huge boulder sitting in sediment. You think, how did that get there? And it's only from glacial activity that you get those sorts of those drop stones in sediment and I was looking at this and thinking oh maybe by the end of the season it wasn't a very big piece of ice it would have melted and that rock would fall down to the bottom of the sea floor and eventually more and more sediment would go on top of it and one day you know if we're still around geologists looking at it and in a time when the rocks that were formed um, at the base of the sea floor are now nowhere near a polar region nowhere near ice but still preserving that history of that glacial that glacial movement and yeah we've seen there's heaps of drop stones throughout Australia and outback areas that are so hot and I think about that like the rocks that are forming now not just the rocks that we can see but the rocks the environments that create the rocks that will someone a geologist down the track will see the the beach at Nico Harbour had me thinking about that because it's such a mix there's granites and basalts and I don't know much but I know that when you see those variety of colours all in one spot there's been something driving that yeah. other than just the, the original formation of the rock and I, I've mentioned in the series before that I I almost feel like I've wasted my life by going into ecology <laughs> rather than geology, not quite, but I want to know those stories that that um, that makes it so fascinating to pe- speak to people like yourself that can help explain some of those phenomena to me that's the great thing about geology is that the, the scales are so much larger than a human and you only really can understand small portions of it and learning about deep time and and contrasting you know today's environment against um, previous environments and trying to piece together that story is really fascinating I really like seeing those those granites of all the different colors as well because Sometimes, I mean, I say short, but it could be a period of five or ten million years, which in a geological time scale is very small, but just different pulses of magmatism um, could create granites of very different uh, appearances, with those really pink ones that we saw and those dark grey ones, different crystal sizes, uh, big feldspar crystals that would have taken a long time to cool and coalesce and... Yeah, that was that was beautiful, and I was definitely looking at all those rocks and thinking, this is this is great. And also to think about how, you know, it wasn't so long ago that Antarctica and Australia and South America and Africa were all part all together as Gondwana, and that some of the rocks that we see here here in Antarctica were formed right next door to the rocks that are seen in Australia. And that's what a lot of, I guess, the research is about in Antarctica is trying to create those paleotectonic reconstructions of how it all would have fit together. So I'm interested to sort of, yeah, read more about the geology. I wish I had been able to beforehand, but then to go to places in Australia where we can see rocks that were would have been deposited or extruded right next to rocks that are the same in Antarctica. So 
who knows if we'll be back here. Hopefully, <laughs> we can go look at the rocks in, in Australia instead. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I look forward to keeping in touch and hearing about these adventures. So, mm. thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Take care and appreciate your coffee.